0: In the book of Matthew, chapter 1 beginning, or chapter 2 beginning with verse 1, listen to what the Word of God says. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, notice that lowercase K, y'all see that? The lowercase K, the little king, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? See that big K, the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. Father, I'm thankful this morning for the privilege of being in this place and being with your people. I'm thankful, God, for the children that you are bringing up in this place for their parents, like Brother Steve has already said, that bring them here, Lord, and allow us to love on them and to teach them about Jesus and to point them to the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. We're thankful, like Steve has said, for those of us at RGT that are willing to invest time and effort into their lives to build Christ in them. And if they do not yet know Christ as their Savior, to bring them to Christ again to point them to the Lamb of God, which came to take away the sin of the world Father, we're thankful of that. And we're thankful, Lord, for this season that we can celebrate the coming of your only begotten Son, Mary's virgin-born son, so that he might die for sinners such as me. And I pray today, God, if there's one such in this place, if there is a man, woman, boy, or girl who does not know that their name's recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, if they've never been washed in the blood, if they've never been born from above, May this be the very hour, God, that they'll realize they're a sinner. Repent of their sin, and by faith receive Christ as Savior. Have your own way, God, as we seek to glorify you. Edify your people, and we'll praise you for it all. For we ask into that name that's above every name, the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and all God's people said. Again, I'm going to talk to you about when the king came. As we begin to think about the Gospels, there are not four Gospels, but there are four different accounts of the Gospel. They're written by a man by the name of Matthew. We'll say more about him in a moment. A man by the name of Mark. A man by the name of Luke, who was the only Gentile, as I understand it, that wrote any book of the Bible. And then there is John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke has written what they referred to as the synoptic gospels of the gospels that are synonymous. They tell pretty much the same story and yet they tell it in a different way. We don't have a biography of Jesus Christ, but what we do have is a portrait of Him. And we have not all there is uh, to know about God's only begotten Son, uh, God manifest in the flesh, but we know everything that we need to know right now to take Him as our Savior, to live for Him in this life, and then go to live with Him in the next life. In these four accounts of the gospel, friend, God presents His Son in an way. In the book of Matthew, we see him presented to us by Matthew himself, who was a Jew, a converted Jew. In fact, he belonged to the tribe of Levi. In fact, uh, when he was converted, he was a tax collector or a publican and in the eyes of those that were a part of the nation of Israel. No one could get lower than a publican. But all that day, when he was sitting in the receipt of customs, when Jesus was in the area of the Galilee, he looked at him and said, come, follow me. And boy, I'll tell you, he did what every sinner ought to do. He got up, left all that he had, and followed Jesus. This man, to the name of Mark, who was a a nephew of Barnabas. You know what he did? He wrote wrote an account of the gospel. And when he wrote it, he wrote it uh, with the Roman world in mind. And you say, how do you know that preacher? Well, Rome was all about power. Rome was all about being busy and straightway and and, uh, immediately. And when Mark wrote, he wrote about Jesus not being a king but as a servant. And he was the tireless servant of God Almighty, who eventually uh, was denied Calvary, shed his blood so that you and I, friend, might know Christ as our Savior. Then Luke came along. When he began to write this this doctor, he was a Gentile. He wrote uh, to the Greek. He wrote to the intelligentsia of that day. He wrote to those uh, that had great wisdom. And you know what? he presented uh, them with, he presented the perfect man. Hey, I'm glad, listen, I'm glad the perfect man came and died for this imperfect man so that I could have a perfect right. how to go to heaven someday by the grace of God. And then along came John, oh, that beloved disciple. Oh, that beloved disciple, he wrote about 90 A.D., several years after that Matthew Mark and Luke pinned their gospel down and you know what he did he wrote with every man in mind whether it be a man or a woman boy or girl, whether it be black or white or yellow or brown, doesn't matter the ethnicity, doesn't matter about the education, doesn't matter about the uh, the position, the power, the notoriety, doesn't matter about any of those things. He wrote about God manifesting himself in the flesh. He wrote about uh, the Son of God. He took us higher friend in his presentation of Jesus than anyone else. And he wrote so that you might know Jesus and that believing on him, you might have eternal life. So today, so today I pray, if you come lost and undone, you'll leave this place safe because we want to introduce you to Jesus, who is the king, the suffering servant, the perfect man, and the eagle, That'll take you higher than you've ever gone before in this gospel that we have before us. You know, there, there, there are people that, that are known as scholars. And I'll be honest, after I read some of the things they say and some of the things they write, I wonder how scholarly that they are. Can I tell you, friend, that some of them say that, um, that they talked with each other and they had a, quote, secondary source uh, for writing what they wrote. Can I tell you today, they wrote, friendless and nothing more than what God inspired, nothing less than, than what God breathed through them by the power of the Holy Spirit. We here at Roxalanta believe that this book, bless God, was inspired by God. We believe it's been preserved by God. And when we look in the King James Bible, we believe we've got the Word of God just like God would have us to have it today. That Matthew didn't call uh, or put put Mark on on FaceTime and say, what do you think about what I'm ready to write today? They didn't do that. Listen, friend, these holy men of God were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God and God used them to present His Son so that all the world might be saved if they put their trust and their faith and their hope in Him. I am told that the first one to pen an account of the gospel that we have record of here in the Word of God was Mark. And yet, when we start the New Testament, we find that Mark doesn't begin the New Testament. We find that the gospel according to Matthew does, and there's a reason for that. There's a purpose for that. In fact, there are many of that. And you say, why, preacher? When the Old Testament closes, you know what it was doing? It was pointing, wasn't it? Uh, Josh, it was pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. It was pointing to the coming of a king, not just a king, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It was pointing to uh, the coming of God incarnate in the flesh. It was pointing to the Lamb of God that would take away the sin. Of the world, and you know what God did through Matthew, when God began to inspire Matthew, this Jew, writing a gospel uh, to the Jewish world. You know what He did? God said, "Look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to reach back across 400 years of silent years after Malachi laid his pen down, the last book of the Old Testament. Heaven and it's and it's a uh, communication." became silent. And yet on the day that Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, the husband of Elizabeth, was in the temple doing his priestly dues. You know, the Bible records and says that on the outside of the temple there was a multitude of people. Let me ask y'all something and be honest. How long could we go 400 years without hearing from God and yet be faithful to him? If we go four days, we worry. If we go four minutes, we worry Sometime, Hey, friend, I'll tell you, we ought to wait till God moves, till God speaks. And then when he does, we ought to obey him. We ought to rejoice in him. And we ought to just simply follow him all the way. And Matthew does what he does in this gospel. It's an amazing thing. That he does. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Matthew's gospel. And you're going to be happy about this when I say not all 28 chapters, if you're glad, say amen. But we are going to look at 14 of them. Really quick. No, really, 12. I just I just wanted to pull your leg a little bit. But this man, Jesus of Nazareth, we're going to look at the fact that he was promised. We're going to look at the fact that he was produced, and we're going to look at the fact that he was portrayed, and we ought to do it really, really quickly without a doubt. Now, there is no doubt, if you've been to read the gospel according to Matthew, you'll find that the, that, that the undoubted uh, theme of that gospel is the King. You, you can read this gospel without a doubt. You'll know that Jesus is being presented as a king. After all, listen, we'll find that he was a son of David. We'll find that he was born in Bethlehem. And we'll find, friend, that one of these days, no, no, not one of these days, he's already been crowned king. He'll not come to be crowned. He'll come as a crowned king, a king already crowned. Now, this king was promised. According to Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, look at how Matthew opens his gospel. He says the book of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. You know where Matthew points us to? He points us back to the Old Testament. It's this where in the beginning of his book he begins to tie the old with the new. And he does that by telling us that Jesus, he tells us just two things that are profound. Two things about Jesus that we need to know. Number one, he's of royal seed. Number two, he's of the right seed. Uh, racial seed. It tells us uh, that he has right to the throne, and it tells us, uh, friend, that he's also uh, in the right in the right nation, and that had to be true about this savior that came. And notice the order that he places him in. It seems backward to me, right? If you've ever dealt with genealogy, you never start with your where you're at and go backwards. You start at the beginning and come forward, if I understand the way Dad did it. I mean, that's the way genealogy is laid out. And you know what? Matthew didn't make a mistake when he started with David. You say, why? Because, again, he's presenting the king. He started with David in the royal line, went backwards from that uh, to Abraham uh, to the right racial line. And today, friend, we ought to rejoice and be glad that we've got a king of kings in Jesus. Now, I know all of you know that both Joseph and Mary were of the seed of David. In the book of Matthew, we have uh, the genealogy of Mary. And in the book of Luke, or, or of Joseph, and in the book of Luke, we have the genealogy of Mary. And here's the difference in them. In Joseph's lineage, he was a uh, was a descendant of Solomon. Now, do you know what that wouldn't have done? Jesus couldn't be the king of kings and lord of lords if he come through that line of uh, that branch of David's, of David's family tree. Look at the wisdom of God. David had more than one son. Matter of fact, he had many. Matter of fact, he had too many, but too many wives. Somebody say amen right there. I, I could say a lot about that right there, but, but anyway, through, through the branch of Nathan, God sent Mary. Now listen to this, I can't explain this, but I know it: the virgin, mother of Jesus. So through her, he could have the right to the throne of, G, of David, to fulfill, to fulfill the word of Almighty God. Now if you go back far enough, and we're going to in the Word of God. I'm not going to turn to them, just going to mention them. If you want to write them down, you can look them up, do a little Bible study on your own. But I'm just going to pick up a couple of places where, listen, the king was promised. The king was promised in many places in the Old Testament. And the first one I can find is in Genesis uh, chapter 17, verse 6, when God reiterated to a man by the name of Abram, Before he changed his name to Abraham, he said, listen. Well, I'm going to turn back and read it because I'm going to get a couple things out of it. Y'all know that Israel is in a battle up to their eyeballs. If you know that, say amen. Well, I want you to know and the world to know, Hamas to know, the Palestinians to know, the White House to know, and any other capital there is in the world, that that land of Israel still belongs to the descendants of Abraham. Listen now. Through Isaac, not Ishmael. God promised Abraham of Ur the Chaldees, he said, Now listen, if you'll believe me and obey me, here's what I'm gonna do. I'll make you a great father of a great nation. I'll give you a seed by which you'll bless all the earth. And every place that the sole of your foot shall touch, I'll give it to you and to your seed. Watch my lips forever. All right? Hey, they don't live on occupied territory. They live on a land grant that God gave to Abraham long ago. And God's going to keep his word. Guarantee it. Listen to what he said, verses 6, 7, and 8. In chapter 17 of Genesis, he said, I will make thee exceeding fruitful. I will make nations of thee and kings of thee shall come out of thee. Isn't that amazing? Kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, thy seed after thee, and their generations for an everlasting covenant. Now listen to what I'm going to say. The Abrahamic covenant is a covenant of grace. When God made it with Abram, on the night that he made it with him, Abram was asleep. The animals had been arranged. They had been parted, and instead of two parties walking down between those cut in two animals, which was saying, if I break this covenant, I want to be done like this animal. I want to be killed. In essence, that's what it was saying. God walked down them by himself while Abraham slept and was saying to Abraham, listen, this covenant, now listen to this, this is good. He said, this covenant is not dependent on you. Whether you get it right or not, whether you're obedient or not, whether you're perfect or not, it is dependent upon me. And God's going to bring it to pass someday. Let me finish it up and go on. i got a long way to go. He said, and I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land whereon thou art a stranger or wherein Thou art a stranger, and I like that. You can go on over in the book of Genesis chapter 49 and 10. When Jacob was talking to his 12 sons, he he looked at Judah, and he said in verse 10, he said, the scepter shall not depart from between thy feet until Shiloh come. You know who he's talking about there? He's talking about the man that'll bring peace. He's talking about the Savior. He's talking about the King of Israel. In chapter 7 of the book of 2 Samuel, we see that David, at the beginning of that chapter, wanted to build a house for God, the house, the covenant. And you know what God did? Before that chapter ended, God sent Nathan to David with a message. Oh, I appreciate what you want to do for me, but here's what I'm going to do for you. I want to build you a house. I want to establish your throne forever. And I'm going to see to it that you've got a seed to set upon that forever throne. And you know what we find in the book of Isaiah 6 and 9, or 9 and 6? We find God saying that unto thee, look at this now, a child is born, but a son is given. Now you say, what's that talking about, preacher? It's talking about the virgin-born birth of Jesus. It's talking about, look, every king was a child before they became a king. Is that right? But I only read about one king, that though he was a king, became a man after he became king. That didn't impress y'all like I thought it might. Sort of impressed me. How wonderful he is. Listen, friend, he's got the preeminence over all. And I'm telling you, friend, listen, Matthew was presenting to us a king. Number two, look in chapter two or one, if you will, the book of Matthew. We have the king produced. You say, I was a produced preacher. He was produced like no other child was ever produced. There's only one virgin-born son. His name is Jesus He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He was born of the virgin, not just a fair maiden, not just a young lady, but listen, he was born of the virgin. Say, why? So he could be pure and sinless. So he could become the sin sacrifice for you and I. You see, we needed, a, we needed a Savior, and he couldn't be a sinner like you and I were. Look at what he said in Matthew chapter, chapter 1, and I'm going to break into the, the begat. How many of y'all love the begat chapters in the Bible? Say, That's what I thought. I'm going to pick it up in verse in verse 15 of chapter 1. And Eliad begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Methan, and Methan begat Jacob. Now watch this. There's a change. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Joseph, as you all know, was the stepfather of Jesus. When, when and if you come next week, we'll find this out. When Gabriel came to Mary and said, Look, you're going to have a babe. And she said, Well, how can this thing be? Seeing that I know not a man. Mary and Joseph... I may hurt some people here, but that'll be all right. You'll get over it or not. Mary and Joseph, friend, in those days, they were espoused, but they were pure. They didn't think that premarital sex was okay just because they're getting married. And even if you don't go, quote, all the way before you get married, it's sin. Well, I thought I'd get more help on that. I mean, God means what He says and says what He means. We live in a world, friend, that's turned things upside down. God wants you to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy the intimacy of sexual relations, but after marriage. See, I needed more help there. Let me try that again. But after marriage. Thank you all. I appreciate that. But a virgin was produced. Now let me give you this real briefly. I got to move on. I don't know the order of things. I just imagine in my mind what happened. Elizabeth got pregnant that year, about six months, five or six. I can't remember which. Before Mary was, and when Mary found out that she was with child, I kind of think she looked at Joseph and said, "I'm going to go visit. I'm going to go visit Mary." While she was gone, I don't know if this way it happened. Joseph was wondering what she was going to do, what he was going to do with Mary. He loved her. He trusted her. Now we at this side of where that's at, and we being taught as Christians, we can see the the, uh, supernatural conception happening in a way that Joseph couldn't understand. understood. But Joseph was saying, what am I going to do with her? I don't want to have her stoned. I don't want to embarrass her. I love her too much. And I like what the Word of God says. Wow, he thought on these things. Gabriel showed up and said, Look, Joseph, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife. I like this, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. This is that which was written A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins, not in their sins. And when Joseph awoke, he took Mary and he married her. And knew her not, I like this, until, until she brought forth her firstborn son. Now see, this kind of stuff blows me away. That kind of stuff make my head hurt. How wonderful this is. How important is this? Y'all know what? Listen, the birth of Jesus was as natural as anybody ever birthed a child. But what was supernatural is the conception when the power of the Most High God overshadowed Mary and some way, we're not explained how, she conceived in her womb a child which was a holy thing and which was God's only begotten son. So here we are with the king portrayed. I want to pick it up in chapter 2, and we're going to to move pretty quick. First of all, we see see the king here. We see him in chapter 2 praised by the wise men and presented with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Well I tell you what, they're coming, they're coming to Jerusalem. Rouse the whole thing up. And look where they come. They didn't go to Nazareth. They didn't go to Bethlehem. You say, why? They knew that there was a king to be born. And if you were going to seek a king, you wouldn't go to a barn to find him. You'd go to the palace. Because that's where, that's where kings, that's where kings live. That's where the princes live. I imagine it just tore old Herod up when they knocked on the door, and said, "What are you looking for?" And said, "We seek Jesus, who was born King of the Jews." Look in chapter three. In chapter three, friend, we have we have the Messiah, or we we have the proclamation of the Messiah by John. He 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 called him. He called him, friend, the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world and you know what in this chapter there were three great things that happened at least three gate three great things number one in his baptism he was identified with me and you baptism speaks of identification that's what it's talking about and I don't know about y'all but I'm glad I'm identified with Christ I'm glad that when he went down into the Jordan and said, John, I need to be baptized of thee. And John said, me baptize you. I need to be baptized of thee. Jesus said, suffer or allow it to be so, for such it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. In that baptism, Jesus was identified with the sinner. He was identified with the sinner, and I'll say more about that maybe next week. But when John buried him in that liquidy grave, he came up out of the grave. And the Bible says the heavens opened and, a, and the Spirit descended in the form of a dove and lit upon him. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of his anointing. He was anointed a prophet, a priest, and a king. That's so important. Right there in the Jordan with the Holy Spirit with God speaking and saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased we find that he was anointed to the three offices that he fulfilled. And at that moment of that day, his public ministry was inaugurated. In chapter 4, you know what he did? He proved that he was the sinless Son of God. I like that. I was so ignorant when I first got saved and knew so little about the Word of God and about God's plan that I thought when Jesus went into the wilderness was to see whether he not would, whether he would or would not have sinned. How foolish can somebody be? But I was young in the Lord. I didn't know much, but I was guilty of that. But you know what I now know and I declare? When he went in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, you see, he was the last Adam, where the first Adam failed in the temptation. The last Adam succeeded, and he didn't go in there to see whether or not he could sin. He went in there to prove that he could not sin. You say, what's the difference? Well, let me tell you simply, and I'll move on. Had he been able to sin at that time, at this time, if that had been true at this time, then our salvation would still be questionable. That wasn't what it was for. He went in to prove that there's not a Chinaman's chant that he could sing. So today, if you know Jesus, say amen. amen. Our salvation is sure. Amen. amen. Chapter 5 and 6, he came out of the wilderness, and he came out as a king. Now listen, friend, he was born a king, he lived a king, he died a king, he's coming a king. And when he had these people in Galilee, at the Mount of Beatitudes, a great multitude he promulgated or declared. I had to have a P, that's the alliteration. But it's still a good word, promulgated. We don't say it much, but it is a good word, promulgated. Do y'all like that? Promul- I don't like it, but it's, it starts with a P. So what can I say? But he declared, he declared the law of the kingdom. Now look, let, let me say something here and help us all. The book of Matthew was written by a Jew. Two Jews that were looking for both a king and a kingdom. And every king and every kingdom has a set of laws, right? This isn't church stuff. Everybody heard me say that, say amen. This is beneficial to us. But this is the law of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, as a king, speaking to his subjects, sitting on that mountainside, he began to preach to them. In chapter 5, 6, and 7, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, the law of the kingdom of heaven. Getting close to being done. In chapter 8 and 9, as he came out away from from uh, from that message, the Sermon on the Mount, You know what he did in those two chapters, chapter 8 and 9? He performed no less than ten miracles. Now, it's one thing for a king to espouse a law of his kingdom. But can I tell you all something? A king must also possess power. If you agree with that, say amen. And in the ten miracles, not in any specific order, I believe that Matthew, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, just chose twelve of them, listen now, From the healing of the leper, which speaks of cleansing men from sin, bringing salvation. This isn't the last one. It's the ninth one that's listed to the opening of the eyes of the blind. you know what he did? He proved. He proved that he had power. He, as a king, his power as a king was displayed and especially a special king. Not just a king, but the king of kings. You say, how do you get that? In the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, we have a prophecy of the coming Yeshua Hamashik, which is Jesus, the Messiah. And you know what? One of those great signs of him being the true Messiah was the opening of the eyes of the blind. That's why we have that listed here in this list of 10 Miracles that Jesus did. Moving on to chapter 11. There are three things that we find interesting in this chapter. In chapter 11, he praised John the Baptist. He said that, look, out of all men that were ever born of women, there's not a greater than John the Baptist. And yet in the same voice, he turned around and said, and yet I tell you that he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. You see, John was part of an old dispensation. He was the last prophet of the Old Testament, but he announced the king, and the kingdom would come. So Jesus praised him in looking back at him. And you know what else he did? Jesus promised judgment on the cities of the Galilean area. You say, why? If you read and count and dig, you'll find that about, if I remember correctly, 85% of the miracles that Jesus Performed was performed in that area. In the cities and towns like Chorazin and Bethsaida and, and Capernaum. Other towns too. But you know what he did? He pronounced judgment on them. He even told Capernaum, he said, Though thou, though thou um, rise to the clefts of the rock or the heights of heaven, yet shall thou be brought down to hell. You know what that means? That means that, listen, you have been given a great privilege you have been presented the king. You've seen his power. And here's the problem. You've rejected him. So the only thing left is judgment. So he praised John the Baptist, pronounced judgment upon those nations. But here's the good thing, and I want, us, I want us to turn to it in chapter 11. He promises to meet all the spiritual needs of you, sir, of you, ma'am, If you have any today, the nation of Israel at this time, as is illustrated with and Bethsaida, and Capernaum, rejected their king. Listen now, they should have accepted him. They had every right to accept him. They had every reason to accept him. They were made to expect him. But listen, this is important. Simply because he did not fit their expectation of him, they rejected him. They expected a king to come riding in on a horse and delivering them from the burden of being under the thumb of Rome. That's not the way he came. He'll take care of that the next time. But he came as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. He came as a king on the back of a mule walking in the streets of Jerusalem, proclaiming himself to be king, as the kids cried, Hosanna. But I'll listen. In chapter, in chapter 11, he says, not to a nation, but to individuals. In fact, it's to whosoever. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your soul. We'll come back to that in a moment. But in chapter 12, he proves that he is Lord. And you say, how did he do that? You all know in the Word of God many times in the Gospel accounts, Jesus is, now listen, how I'm going to say this, falsely accused of breaking the Sabbath. He never, never broke the Sabbath of God. If you all hear me, say Amen. Now, let me explain what he did break as far as the Sabbath. Man's idea about the Sabbath. The Pharisees had created restrictions and rules and laws about this last day of the week, Saturday. But they weren't God's way. And Jesus, friend, Jesus, by performing two miracles early in this chapter... Proved that he was not only the creator of the Sabbath, but also the Lord of the Sabbath. And in doing that, and in doing that, and I'm closing, you know what he did? He provoked his enemy to plan his death. Now, Judy, come on. In chapter 13, and I'll end on this. In light of the fact that Israel... Had rejected their king. There'll be another one. There'll there'll never be another one. He's coming. The kingdom is being postponed. A lot of the world needs to realize that. The church is not the kingdom. If you heard me say that, say amen. The church did not supplant or replace Israel. If you heard that, say amen. The church and Israel are two totally different entities. If you heard me say that, say amen. And God will keep his promise to Israel. God will keep his promise to the church. The king's still coming. The king's still coming. But what's going on in between? You'll see Jesus preaching in that chapter, proclaiming seven parables. They are known as the mystery parables of the kingdom of heaven. And what that means is it just simply tells what's going on in this world while the kingdom is postponed. And here's the greatest part. He's taking out of this world right now, ladies and gentlemen, a bride for His Son, Jesus. When the church started on the day of Pentecost, at least it was inaugurated, the church was fully Jewish But as the church continued to obey the plan and command of God, they started in Jerusalem, went to Judea, then into Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And one day the gospel reached me, T.K. Price, here in the United States of America, and I'm glad about that. He tells us that he's taking out of the Gentiles a bride or his son Jesus, Acts 15, will tell you that. God's already got a bride. It's the nation of Israel. Christ needs a bride, and it's going to be a Gentile bride. That now, because we're in Christ, we're not Jew or Gentile, but we're one in Christ. And I'm glad for that. Are you a part of that? Look, I want you to go back with me to chapter 11. And I'm going to read this passage again. I don't know where you're at in life, I don't know what's going on with you, but I'll tell you what. Jesus wants to meet, and I'll say it again, all your spiritual needs. Now, he may not give you a car or a new home or perfect health or wealth. There are preachers like Joel Osteen and others that will say that's what he wants you to have. But the Bible doesn't teach that. But the Bible does teach It'll meet all your needs spiritually according to His riches in Christ. So the greatest need you have, sir, ma'am, if you came in, here lost. You need to be saved. If you've never met Jesus somewhere in an altar of prayer, if you've never, under the conviction of your sins, realizing that you're a sinner without Christ, you'll spend an eternity in a place called hell. That's why I got saved. I didn't want to go to hell. If you can't remember, and you may not be able to put the day and the hour on it, but if you can't remember a time and know there's a place that you bow your head, humbled your heart, and told God that you're a sinner, and ask Him to save you, let this be the day that that happens because He says this,